Good morning. If you have your Bible with you, if you want to go ahead and find Mark chapter 9. We'll be in Mark's gospel in chapter 9 today. And as we come to our text, Jesus and his disciples, they're on their way to Capernaum. And as usual, Jesus is using this time alone to teach his, his closest followers. And again, he tells them, he says that he will be killed, that he'll rise again from the dead. They, they hear what he says, that they're hearing his words, but they don't understand and they're afraid to ask what he means. See, the disciples at this point, they don't understand the truth that the Messiah, that he must give his life for his people. That he came into this world not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And they wouldn't understand this until after he dies on the cross and rises from the dead. And of course, the world, the world has a problem with the image of this suffering Savior. The idea that God would have to die to save sinners, to, so that we could be saved from our sin, it, it flies in the face of religion. Because according to religion, we can work our way to God. We, 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 that we can meet certain standards, we can keep certain rules, that we can make it there on our own merit. But God says, God says we don't get to him by works. The only way that we can come to God is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the world, the world hears the message of the cross and they say that's just foolishness. To say that Jesus needs to die so that sinners can be saved, it's just more than the world can handle. But the disciples, the disciples are still in that same boat. They see Jesus establishing his kingdom. They see him reigning in power and in glory. They see him defeating their enemies and restoring Israel as a nation. They just can't see him dying for sin. In our text, we see that Jesus moves from teaching of his death and resurrection to who is the greatest. And Christ uses these events to teach his people then and us here now that true greatness comes from humble service to others. And as we look at this conversation between Jesus and the disciples and listen to the words, we might just discover the truth that some of the people who think they are the greatest among us might not be that great at all. And we might also discover that the path to true greatness that it's available to anyone who's willing to walk it. So I want us to pray, and then we'll read our text for this morning. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this amazing opportunity uh, to come together in this place to worship you, to honor you, to come close to you. Lord, I pray that your word, that it opens our hearts, that, 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 that it softens those hearts that have been hardened by the world, and that, Lord, we see the truth of who you are and how you change lives. Father, I just pray for, for your spirit to be felt here, that, Lord, we know that we are in your presence and that we can be used by you no matter what's happened in the past. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it will teach us this morning. And I just pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 30, God's word says, They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. 
But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked him, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Now, the first thing I want us to look at in this text, the first thing we're going to look at is that there is a debate. There is a debate going on. Because when they reach Capernaum, Jesus, he wants them, to, he asks them, what were you guys talking about? What were you discussing among yourselves on the way? And his question, it's just met with silence. It's crickets. Nobody will answer him. Apparently, they're embarrassed by this discussion that they were having on the road because they've been arguing about who was the greatest. They've been arguing over who was the number one disciple. And you have to wonder, what made them start thinking like this? Maybe it had to do something with the fact that Jesus, that he had chose Peter, James, and John to go up with him on Mount Hermon. Maybe it had to do something with the fact that, that, that when these three came down, they were told not to talk about what they'd seen or heard. Think of this, Peter, James, and John, they're coming back to the other nine disciples. They're excited. They've come down from the mountain from seeing the glory of God. They've seen Elijah. They've seen Moses. They have heard the very voice of God speak. They're thrilled. They're over the moon. They're walking on there. They are just, I, I know I would have been. I see them smiling, talking together. Maybe a few high fives going on. Maybe feeling a little bit more important than the other guys. See, while, while those three disciples experienced a powerful mountaintop experience, those other disciples, they had been fighting in the valley down below. They've had an argument with the scribes. They've been ridiculed by the crowds. They failed miserably in a spiritual battle. They have no, they have no use for the excitement or the silence of Peter, James, and John. And as they walk, they start talking. The nine ask the three, what happened up there? You guys just seem so excited. And the only answer they get is, sorry, Charlie. We can't tell you. I kind of see them being like little kids. I know something you don't know. And you could imagine that this would have made the other nine disciples feel left out. The other three might have felt and acted like they were better, they were more important than everybody else. 
mean, what did their conversation sound like? Uh, Peter, James, and John, they make the case that one of them is surely the leader of the group. Since, since they were chosen to go with Jesus up on the mountain, the other guys weren't. Maybe Peter says, well, it's obvious, guys. I'm the leader. I'm in charge here. After all, it was me. The first one that said Jesus was the Messiah, that wasn't any of you guys. It was me. Maybe Andrew said, hey, hey, wait a minute. Don't you remember that if I wouldn't have introduced you to Jesus, you wouldn't be here in the first place? Obviously, you'd be out fishing still, not here. Maybe John and James, they get a little irritated. Hold it. Just wait a minute. We were the very first ones to follow Jesus. We've been with him longer. We have way more seniority than you, Johnny, come lately. We were here first. Maybe Judas even says, what about me? I must be important because Jesus trusts me with the money. Each one of the disciples think that they are more important and more qualified than the others. Each one of them thinks that they're worthy of more honor. Each one thinks, I'm the leader. It's no wonder that these men are embarrassed by their argument. When they were talking among themselves, it seemed like it was so important. But when they stand before Jesus, they see how silly, they see how immature, arrogant, and self-centered they'd been acting. Jesus has been out here talking about eternal things, and they could only focus on their self-interest. Jesus has just reminded them, I am going to die but I'm going to rise from the dead. And all they can think about is who was first. It's no wonder they were embarrassed. It's still embarrassing when things like that happen today. And it does happen. Everywhere you go in church, in every church, you find the people uh, who, who want to be important, who want to be recognized for what they do or what they give. And third John, the apostle, he condemns a man who likes to put himself first and does not acknowledge our authority. That guy wanted to be number one. He, he wanted to control the church and set the policies. He wanted to run everything. He wanted to be in charge, and nobody else could be. And, and I, I just want to set the record straight here today. There are no big eyes and little U's here. There are no big eyes and no little U's. Because when this life is over, all of our petty and all of our silly efforts will, will be, to be the first things revealed to be as childish as they are. Uh, when that kind comes, when this life ends, do you want to stand before our Creator? Stand before Him in embarrassment because you wanted to keep the rules because you wanted to be first. Or do you want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant? That choice is yours. There is a debate in our text. Second, there's a demonstration. There is a demonstration. So in order to correct this immature and childish, foolish thinking on the part of his disciples, Jesus sat down to teach them. And when a rabbi, when he would sit down in front of his, his students, he was assuming a place of authority over them. When Jesus sat down, that was time for the disciples to listen up. 
And when Jesus, when he begins to teach, he just gives them this paradox. He says that the way to greatness, that the way to greatness, it is through serving others. He tells them that the door to first place, it is located in the servants' quarters. Jesus is teaching them that true greatness, that true greatness only comes from serving others. And that's a lesson that's been lost on many of us. Some people think that they deserve respect, that they deserve preferential treatment just because they occupy a certain position or hold a certain title, that you need to respect the rank. But if you really want others to respect you, start serving them. Put them before yourself and meet their needs, forgetting about your own. Give them the first seat without wanting anything in return. And this is important. When we humble ourselves, when we humble ourselves, he will lift us up in his time. But we have to humble ourselves. And and to put an even finer point on what Jesus is talking about, he takes a child that is I guess just sitting there thinking, wow, this guy's amazing. He takes this little child, places him before the disciples, and he tells them, if you receive a child, if you receive a child in my name, you're in fact both receiving the Son and the Father who sent him. And the word, the word receive in our text, it, it means displaying hospitality. Because in those days, hospitality, it was everything. When, when a person showed up at your house, even if you didn't know they were coming, you were expected to receive them, to serve them, and to meet all their needs. And he's also saying that when we serve the least among us, we're really serving him. By serving him, we are serving the Father as well. Now, now Jesus could have just told them that, but... But he uses a child. And I think there's several reasons he did that. First, children in that society, in that day and age, they were at the bottom of the ladder. They were looked at as property, uh, uh, mostly ignored by adults. And it didn't matter what any of those children thought. Didn't matter. Second, Jesus, he used that child to teach his disciples about service. Because a child can't do anything for an adult. Not really. A child's not going to improve your your position in society. A child's not going to add to your excess. And a child can't make you more important in the eyes of the world. But a child, a child can teach you about ministry. Think about it. If you're who's here a parent? You got kids? You know what happens when you have a new baby? That child, that child demands everything. From day one, that child has to be served. Every single need must be met by a willing adult. And children uh, come into our homes and they take constant care, they take constant attention, and if they're ignored, if you ignore that child, what's going to happen? They're going to cry and they're going to get fussy and they're going to let you know that they're not happy. If you know, you know that. But when parents, when we have children, parents learn what giving and service is all really about. Because when a child's born, 
you give and you give and you give. And when that child grows, you keep giving and giving and giving. And often as they reach adulthood, you keep giving and giving and giving. Jesus used a child to illustrate this because a child needs to be served. And they can't serve us in return. And that's a lesson we need to take to heart. Too often we only choose to serve those where they can do something in return for us. And we're looking at what, if I serve them, what am I going to get out of this relationship? How is this going to benefit me? But Jesus, Jesus, he would, he, he would have us reach out to those who are the neediest in the world. He'd have us serve those who cannot or even will not serve us in return. And he desires that as we do that, as we serve, just like he did, just as he gave his all, we need to give our all. He wants us to serve. He wants us to even serve those who might just break our heart in return. And often today in the world, when a church reaches out, they only want to reach out to the people who are like us. We, we, we look for those people, we think, oh, they're going to be such a blessing for the church. We want the people with the money, with the talent, and the potential. Churches get it wrong because they are looking for people that they think can make them be a success. And Jesus, on the other hand, did something completely different. He had the habit of reaching out to people who could do absolutely nothing in return. I mean, that's exactly what Jesus did the night before he died. His disciples, they've been so busy arguing about who was the greatest that not one of them, not one of those disciples, not one of those 12 men would humble themselves and wash the feet of the others. But when they finished that meal in the upper room, when that meal was finished, Jesus put a towel around his waist and washed the disciples' feet. Jesus willingly took the place of a slave of the lowliest of the low and washed the dirty feet of men who would run away from him before dawn. He washed the feet of Peter who would deny him three times. He even washed the feet of Judas, who would betray him into the hands of his enemies that very night. Jesus willingly served those people who were going to break his heart. Because when that next day dawned, Jesus performed the greatest service as he went to the cross, as he died for sinners, sinners who hated him and wanted nothing to do with him. Jesus right there set the example for all of us. He was a servant of all of us, of the neediest people of all. He was a servant of those who would never be able to repay him. He was a servant of those who would fail him, deny him, and dishonor him. And he was a servant to you and to me and all of us when he died on that cross. See, what needs to happen is we need to set our hearts on those who need Jesus, 
without any regard of what they can bring to the table or even contribute to the church. We need to fulfill his command to go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house be filled. We need to wash the feet of people around us, regardless of their position in society, their ability to help us, or their power and influence. We need a heart to serve the least among us for His glory and not our own. There was a debate, there was a demonstration, and finally, let's look at a declaration. There was a declaration. When John, when he hears the words of Jesus, he brings up an event that had occurred sometime earlier. Apparently, the disciples, they had encountered someone who was casting out demons in the name of Jesus. But because he wasn't following Jesus, he wasn't one of them, they rebuked him and said, you need to stop, buddy. What John's saying, he's saying, Jesus, we saw this guy, he's out there, he's using your name, he's casting out demons, and he's not part of our little band of brothers, so, you know, uh, we set him straight, we took care of it for you, you don't need to worry about it. We told him he wasn't doing it like we do it. And we let him know that our way was better than his way, so we put him out of business. And Jesus responds by telling them to leave people like that alone. If, they're going, if they are out there doing good works in his name, they're not against him. They're working for him. And then he even goes on to say, if someone gives you a cup of water... And I'm going to throw this out there because there's mailman out there and it's getting summertime. If you see your mailman, offer him a bottle of water. Just throwing it out there. Just, yeah, just do that. Um, he says, if someone even offers you a, a cup of water in his name, that person will be rewarded for their service. And there's several lessons for the church today right there if we're willing to listen to them. Because often, we're just like the disciples. If a church, if a ministry or an individual doesn't do everything like we do, then we are so quick to condemn them and throw them under the bus. We're, we're just quick to judge. We're quick to lash out. We're quick to try and silence them. But there's a few truths that we've forgotten. And the first of these is that no church, no preacher, and no ministry is an exclusive lock on the truth. None of those things. No churches, no preachers, no, no ministries. And basically what I want you to understand is that God didn't put you or me as the final determiner of who is and who isn't serving him. That's not our job. That's not your call to make. The truth is always much bigger than our understanding of it at the time. The primary thing that we need to look at is whether, whether or not he is being glorified. And if he is, everything's good. Next, when it comes to churches, one size does not fit all. Not everybody responds to the way we do things here at Highland Hills. This church is not for every believer. And as much as it might bother us at times, as much as it might be like, God does use people who do things differently than we do. And we need to be careful that we don't judge a church, a ministry, or a preacher 
just because they're different than we are. I mean, think of it. Some churches use different styles of music. They use different styles of music, different Bible translations, different standards on how you dress. Uh, They might use pianos. They might use organs. They might even use tracks for the music. There might be different dress codes. Uh, Some churches, you might be expected to dress like you're headed off to the Kentucky Derby. And other churches, it might be like a lazy day at the park. But what I really want you to understand is that if those people, if they love Jesus, if the gospel, if it's being preached, we're all on the same team. And ultimately, we don't need to worry about what anything, anybody else is doing. We need to be concerned about what he's leading us here at Highland Hills to do in order to reach the people out around us. And you might not like this. I'm sorry, but if we're not reaching people, something has got to change. It may be a ministry, it may be one of us. Whatever it is, it must change if we're going to fulfill our mission. And in the end, this is the last thing, Every church, every ministry must be judged by the kind of people it produces. Every church and every ministry must be judged by the kind of people that it produces. Because if a church, if it produces worldly people, it's of the world, no matter what they say. And if a ministry produces godly people, it's a a tool that God is using, no matter how we feel about it. Way back during the Revolutionary War, General George Washington, he came up on this group of men who were trying to pull down this big tree, and they're just, they got rope, and they're trying to pull it down, and they were almost able to get that tree down. If they were just lacking a little bit of strength, if one more person joined in, that tree'd be down. And Washington, he noticed that their commanding officer was standing off to the side, barking orders, and Washington said, why don't you help them? And that officer got a little indignant, and he said, hey, sir, I am the commander. I give the orders, and they follow them. They do the work. So when Washington heard that, he got off his horse, he took his jacket off, rolled up his sleeves, and gave those tired men the help they needed to pull that tree down. And when they were finished, Washington looked at that officer and said, Sir, if your men need any further assistance, if there is any other way I can help them, please call on me at any time. And the officer said, Thank you, friend. Where may I call on you if I need you? And Washington said, You can find me in the commanding general's tent. And with that, he rode off, leaving that astonished and embarrassed officer in his wake. Let me ask, who is the greatest here at Highland Hills? Who is the greatest? The greatest person in this church is the person who serves others selflessly, with no thought for what they might get in return. The greatest person in this church is the person who is willing to take the last place so that others can be first. 
The greatest person in this church is the person who seeks to serve those who can never give anything back in return. Let me ask you this morning, does that describe you? Is that just part of who you are? Because today, you need to make a decision. Are you here to serve or to be served? Are you ready to follow and go where he calls us to go? Are you holding back? We need to settle that today. Are you ready to serve? The first way we do that is submitting our lives to him as our Lord and Savior. By coming to him, asking for forgiveness, knowing that what he did on a cross, he did for us. That he died, that he was buried, that he was raised back to life on that third day so that we could have forgiveness and eternal life. And all he asks for us is to put our faith and our trust in him. To know what he did was for us. But once you've done that, he's called us to serve. Because he didn't come here to be served. He didn't come here to be waited on. He did whatever he needed to to reach people. And we have to have a heart like that. To serve no matter the cost. To serve no matter the return. To serve just to be like him. So this morning as the worship team comes, I'm going to ask you, to make a decision today. Decide from this day forward whether you will be served or if you're willing to serve. Make the decision to follow Jesus and his leadership and never, ever look back. I'm going to pray and I encourage you that if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior to take this day and make it your day to submit and surrender your life to him and seek to live out your life in service of others. And today, if you know Christ, I ask you, you come here to these steps and you say, Lord, I want to be a servant from this day forward. That I'm not here to make my own, to, to see what the church can do for me, but I want to do what I can do to be used by you so that this church is filled and people are being reached. I'm going to pray I encourage you to come this morning. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you um, just for the example that your son sent. That he came and did the holiest of things. When he washed those disciples' feet. Feet that would run away and deny him but you still chose to go to the cross on their behalf. And just like we've messed up, just like the mess we've made of things in our lives, that, Lord, you're always ready to restore us, to bring us back into line with you and to use us. Because none of us are beyond hope. None of us are beyond repair. Because you are a forgiving and loving God. Lord, help us here at Highland Hills be servants not just of each other, but servants to all, to reach out to the lowliest and the neediest so that they know that they have a Father in heaven who loves them. 
Lord, thank you for your son. Thank you for what he's done for us. And Lord, I just ask you to use this church in great ways as we seek to serve faithfully and obediently. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.